Our scripture reading today comes from Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73b, through Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Please follow along with me as we read. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchiah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning, church. Would you join me in prayer as we uh, once again approach God's word here this morning? Father, we, we thank you so much for the privilege to be together. It's often during uh, confusing times and hard times that our culture and other countries go through that we realize how important it is to be together much more for your body, for your church. Father, thank you so much that we still have the freedom to study, to open the scriptures. We don't know how much longer that will be true, but we, we do know that today we still have that privilege. So Father, I pray that this morning you would help us not to take it for granted, that you would help us to be engaged and to understand the power of your word that is alive and well and has the power to live inside of us and cause transformation and change. Father, I pray for a revival, not only in this church, but in this nation. And I pray for a revival around the world, but as we'll see today, a revival that is a divine revival does not happen apart from your word. So would you go before us? Would you guide us? Would your spirit open our minds and hearts to you, to your word? And Father, I pray for myself that you, mo you would move me out of the way so that your word will be explained in a way that causes people through the work of the Holy Spirit to be changed. So Father, we, we love you, but we thank you for loving us first in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, We've been walking through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, it's been a, a huge pleasure just to realize how Nehemiah has been used by God to actually bring the people, not only help bring the people back into their own land, but also to be able to start to establish them, themselves again as a, as a nation. Now, there's, there's a, one big idea, one main idea that I think the test, the test that we have before us Explains and, and the idea is this, that understanding of the law of God, the understanding of the law of God combined with faithful obedient, obedience to God's teaching has the potential to establish the joy of the Lord as the ultimate source of our strength. Let me repeat that. The understanding of the law of God combined with faithful obedience to God's teaching has the potential to establish the joy of the Lord as the ultimate source of our strength and that's why in the first eight verses today we're going to we're going to see it that the understanding of God's law is comprised of two aspects number one is the communication of God's word and we'll spend most of our time here in verses one through six as well as the properly exposition of God's word which is verses seven and eight now there's a celebration that happens at the end but listen you, you can't expect to just be part of a celebration when those two first things are not part of your life. When God's word is not the foundation and when God's word is not being exposed or exposited to us. So here's what we see. In your outline, you have spiritual revival which starts with the communication of God's word, verses 1 through 6. Here's what it says in verse 73b. When the seventh month arrived and the Israelites were settled in their towns. Now let's just pause it here for a second. The seventh month is not what I would often think as the seventh month as the month of July. This is not what's going on here. The calendar was a little bit different. This is a reference to the month of Tishri 
which is between September and October. So right in the middle of that. Now, if you flip the page back, one page back on your Bible, and you go to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, you will notice the last time that a specific date was given to us here, and it says this. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elo in just 52 days. Elo is the sixth month, which is comprises of the month of August and September. So we have very specific here chronological facts from, from Nehemiah. Now, let's go to verse 1 here. He says this, All the people gathered together in the plaza, which was in front of the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 2, So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which included men and women, and all those who were able to understand what they heard. This happened on the first day of the seventh month. Now, you listen to the specifics here. Verse 3, so he read it before the plaza in front of the water gate from, the, from dawn until noon before the men and the women and those children who could understand. Now, we're going to look into this, but just to give you a heads up, in verse 2, it says that there were people there who were able to understand apart from men and women. In verse, verse 3, he clarifies who those people are. Now there's men, women, and children who are able to understand. All the people were eager to hear the book of the law. So right from the beginning, Nehemiah very, makes it very clear that the people gathered together not for the purpose of throwing themselves a party. Now usually... If you're part of a church circle, you say, hey, we're going to have some fellowship at my house, and we use this word out of context, and we're going to fellowship together, and we're going to have something to eat, and, and usually the fellowship has nothing to do with the Word of God, and there's nothing bad about that, okay? But this is not what's taking place here. They gather together, listen, in the plaza, and they ask Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses what is interesting is this, it wasn't just a small group of people, it wasn't just 50% of the people, it was all the people. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because if you read this passage in 10 verses, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find the mention of the words all the people seven times in this passage. You're going to find a reference to the people four times in this passage. You're going to find a reference to the pronoun they as reference to the people a few other times. And you're going to find the word assembly one more time. So there's about 17 mentions of the people in just 10 verses. It's all the people. And I think this comes, this is where we can take our first takeaway. Listen to the first takeaway you have in your notes. All the people collectively prioritized coming together and they requested that leadership should teach them, adults and children, to hear and understand God's word. And honestly, that is, as I read this to you and as I read Nehemiah, I realize that is the goal of CBF. To teach the people of God the word of God so that the word of God can transform the lives of the people of God. To encourage you to be single-minded, to have a single focus, not only in congregational teaching, but as you teach your children at home, as your children come to CBF to be taught by us, as you go to Sunday school classes and prayer meetings and everything else that we try to provide here. Now, Nehemiah describes the assembly here. They're gathering 
close to the water gate, which was on the east side near to the Gihon Spring. Now, most scholars would say that this is actually the exact location because there was a place that not only had the, the capability to host between 30 and 50,000 people who were the people who were probably there at that moment, but also the ability to provide water and hydration to the people coming. The people, when they came to Ezra, they asked him to read, and if you notice in the task, in the text here, they asked Ezra to read from the book of the Law of Moses. Now, there's two options here, and we're not going to spend much time here. Either they're asking Ezra to read the Pentateuch, which is the five books, the first five books of the Bible, or they're asking Ezra to read specifically from the book of Deuteronomy. Either way, Ezra is not having to create a new document. He's not going home to say, hey, I have to write something cool now to actually present to the people. He's going back to the foundation that we talk so many times that the foundation is God's word and everything must be built up from there. What they're asking here falls under those two categories. So in verse 1, Ezra is actually described as a, pre, as a, as a scribe. And in verse 2, if you notice here in your test, text, he's actually described as a priest. This is significant because Nehemiah has been leading the nation all the way up to this point. God has used him to help the nation to rebuild the wall. And according to Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15, they've done that. They've accomplished the, ta the task in front of them. But now Nehemiah, listen to this, Nehemiah steps aside so that the shepherd of God can lead the people of God into a godly walk with God. The shepherd of God brings the word of God in order to rebuild the lives of the people of God so that they might walk in a worthy manner of God himself. According to verse 2 here, Ezra is going to minister, as we said, to men and women and to the children. Now, how many times have we been guilty of moving our children aside and saying, hey, this is, not, this is too much for you? This is too complicated of a, of a matter. God's word's too hard for you to understand, so why don't you just... Do you realize this is not the creation here? This is not the case for Nehemiah or for Ezra? No wonder why our kids become second, second citizen, citizens when they grow up, second-class citizens, because they feel like they can't accomplish anything in God's word. They feel like they can't understand anything in God's word because we push them aside and I guess that might explain to you why most of the times when I do announcements, I talk about our kids. Because they're just as important to me, I think, and they should just be as important to you as they are to God. There's no separation here. There's no nursery. There's not, no Sunday school. Those things are great. But you hear what Nehemiah is doing. Nehemiah is understanding that if he's going to shepherd, if he's going to allow Ezra to shepherd the people of God, the people of God, even the little ones, need to be shepherded in order that they become a strong generation. Now, understanding is a key concept here, and you notice here in the text, that in text before us that understanding in verse 2 is a key word and is a key understanding, is a key factor here in Scripture. A theologian once said that understanding has two key components, an accurate cognitive grasp of what the Scripture is saying, coupled with a positive volitional response of obedience to its teaching. 
Now on the flip side, that's also true. An inaccurate teaching of God's word will lead to inaccurate living. And that's why foolishness is often associated in God's word with the lack of understanding. Isaiah 44, 44, 18 says, They do not comprehend or understand, for their eyes are blind and cannot see. Their minds do not discern. Now, do you understand? Let me ask you this. Do you understand, based from here, the importance of good shepherding? Nehemiah steps aside, Ezra steps up in order to provide the people of God an opportunity to be spiritually rebuilt. Someone has said that it was not time to rebuild the wall anymore because that project was already done. Now it was time to do the most important project, which was to rebuild the walk of the people of God. The fact that Ezra reads the word is nothing shorter than a miracle here. Now, now, just, just pause with me for a second. Ezra has been back for about 13 to 14 years now. That is a long time. He has not had an opportunity up to this point to do what he's about to do. But in the meantime, I believe that a servant of God will prepare himself for the task of God regardless of when the time is to come. And that's why if you go all the way to Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, there's one of of the most powerful verses in the Old Testament in reference to a person who is living by the word of God, and it says this. Ezra dedicated, listen to the verbs here. Ezra had dedicated himself to the study of the law of God, to its to, to the observance of the law of God and to the teaching of the law of God and its judgment in all Israel. And this is where the power of preparation comes. It's not different in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, when he's discipling a young man called Timothy, he says this to him. He says in 2 Timothy verse two, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he says this, Make every effort to present yourself before God as a proven worker who does not need to be ashamed, teaching the message of truth accurately. Not so-so. Not 75% okay. Accurately. Leadership prepares themselves, or leaders prepare themselves for the test that God has ahead of them. Verse 3, listen to what it says. Verse 3 says that Nehemiah now is reading God's word and it's taking place from dawn until noon. Now I know that our sermon here will last about 40 minutes depending on how fast I go through my manuscript. But I'm pretty sure that if I went six hours, I would be speaking by myself here by the time six hours came. And most likely, you would not come back next week. But this is not what's taking place, and I don't want you to feel guilty for guilty's sake here. You just need to understand that they were hungry for the word. The text says that they're standing the whole process, the whole time, all ages. Can you imagine your six-year-old standing for six hours listening to Nehemiah Ezra expose the word? I wonder how many Lego illustrations he used. 
And I think this is where the takeaway number two comes from. The people were eager to hear God's word. In fact, even children are mentioned in the midst as they stood from dawn till noon. Now here's a question for you. Do your schedule and your priorities and your personal aspirations prove similar to the aspirations of the people of God in here? Now I'm not asking you to not go to work tomorrow and invite all your friends for a 10-hour Bible study. That's, that's not the point here. The point is the consistency of it. Because as we will not see today, but as the text follows, they did this for multiple days. I mean, I stand in line in the grocery store for 25 minutes sometimes, and I get home and I complain my back hurts. Eager expectation is what a Chinese woman once demonstrated, and you can follow this, you can find this online. They bring a bunch of Bibles to her town and go inside of her little hidden church, and they, they hand the believers there a, a Bible, and, and this lady grabs the Bible, and she starts to sob as he hugs, she hugs the Bible, and then the mic captures her words saying, these things, the words of God are, we, are what we needed the most. She didn't complain about the grocery shopping that she wasn't able to do because she didn't have the finances for. She realized that the most important thing was the eager expectation to receive God's word given to her. And we do, we take it for granted, don't we? In 2013, a, a survey was done by the Washington Post. I, not going to talk about how the reliability of this, but listen to the numbers here. Nine years ago, 88% of the Americans have at least one Bible at home, the study said. 80% believe the Bible was sacred. We know the numbers are just all the way down. 61% wish they read the Bible more. The average household, listen to this, has 4.4 Bibles in America. But the irony of the survey is that the title of the survey was called Americans Love the Bible But Don't Read It Much. Uh, how can you love something and, and don't engage yourself into it? Well, honey, I told you I love you the day we got married. And I'll tell you otherwise if I change my mind. Is that how it goes? Because it seems that we have an affinity for God's word that way. God, I love you. Your Bible is here. The difference between us and the people of Nehemiah's day is not only that they were eager to hear God's speaking to them, but they, were ex they expected, listen church, they expected God to speak to them because God's word is the authority through which God's people live by. And all because they understood that God's word was foundational to their faith. So how often do we expect actually God to speak to us through his word? Now, look at verses 5 through 6. Ezra the scribe stood on a towering wooden platform constructed for, his, for this purpose. Standing near him on his right hand were 
Mathatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah. On his left were Pedaiah, Mishael, Milkiah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Meshulam. Ezra opened the book in plain view of all the people, for he was elevated above the people. When, the, when he opened the book, all the people stood up, and you start to gather all the people here, right? Ezra blessed the Lord, verse 6, the great God, and all the people replied, Amen and Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, verses 4 and 5 are just the background information here. And I was just wondering, who actually asked the foreigner to read all the Hebrew names here this day? I don't know who planned this schedule. Just a comment. Now, cut that Nate out of the tape and let's move on. Verse 4 and 5 provides us with a little bit of a background story here. They built a wooden platform specifically for this day. This is actually very similar to what Solomon would have done when he actually established the temple in 2 Chronicles actually, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. The platform would, would be large enough to accommodate all the men actually up there with Ezra as they ministered to people. Now, are you going to ask me, why is it the tower? Why is it so, so high? I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming because they didn't have a very good sound system as we do, that they needed to be a little higher in order to be able to communicate with everybody. They want to see the, 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 the nation, all the people. Now, CBF, here's what I have for you. That is one of the reasons why shepherding is so essential to any church. We're not talking about a church in Nehemiah chapter 8. But let me talk about the, 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 the scribe of God teaching the people of God in terms of the law of God that's being presented just like a pastor would do today. The pulpit is a special place where God's word must be communicated from. Now you're going to say, Michael, we know that. We know that. But does everybody do that? And does everybody know that? It's not a place for self-exaltation, but a place where the broken shepherd pour his sweat and tears over the incredible truth that God is the only one sufficient to transform you and to transform me. And unfortunately, I have to make this point because too many pastors, too often they lose their way by being concerned more about how, how popular they become, how relevant the sermon is, how relevant the sermon is by being, instead of being faithful to God's word, by how creative the pastor is instead of how biblical, how clever instead of accurate, how sophisticated instead of spirit-led, how earthly-minded instead of heavenly, and how culture-driven instead of Christ-centered. And so may never be here because the day that that happens here, then the pastor who is Doing this needs to be moved out of the place because this place was a place that was elevated because God's word was supposed to be elevated. And so regardless of the size of the tower that's standing before the nation of Israel, the word of God was supposed to be the, the one thing that was elevated because it's the authority of God into transforming their lives and their walk before the majestic God that has rescued them and brought them back into the nation. And you have this amazing group of men here helping Nehemiah who are Levites and you have some of their names in here but did you notice the mood of the moment 
First, Ezra opens the book in plain view sight of all the people. A commentator has said that this day was to prove a turning point for the nation of Israel. From now on, the Jews will be predominantly the people of the book. At the dedication of Solomon's, Solomon's temple, there had been glory and beauty, natural and supernatural, to overwhelm the worshipers. The focus, apart from a wooden platform, was the scroll, more exactly, what was written in it. And I would add, more importantly, the one who wrote it. Second, Ezra is elevated in order to communicate God's word to us or to them. And third, they accomplish the task by once again standing up together. This is a sign of reverence, a sign of worship before the Lord. And this is where we get our third takeaway, which says reverence from God's word is a natural response of God's people. Posture, attitudes with one another, our words, even what we spend our time on are good indicators of what, what our view of God and his word is. Verse 6 says that Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people replied, amen and amen. Now reverence led Ezra and his people to bless the Lord, which means to bring him praise and adoration and to identify him as the great God, or the, the one God who was able to do all the amazing things that God had already done for the nation. In essence, Ezra is reminding them of their history. He's reminding them of the track record that God has had from the beginning up to that moment. This is how godly leadership, I think, should act. And honestly, church, you should expect that from your leaders. Because this is not a high expectation. This is a divine expectation. We should point you to the greatness of him, not to the eloquence of the speaker or the accent or the shirt that he's wearing. It's not about us. It's about him. And I'm not sure if we fully understand what it means to actually say amen. <laughs> it's like you go to somebody else's house and you go to the kitchen and they tell you a story that the dog jumped over the fence and didn't die and you said amen, amen. And you're like, uh, no. The amen here is a reverence for the law of God being read, for the people of Nehemiah said amen to express a submission to his word which led them to collectively, listen to this, to collectively bow down before God. Now let me give you a verse here how important collective is to God's word. Psalm 106 verse 48 says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen and praise be to God. Now, there's a little bit of an application here. And here's where the application comes in. Just as the people honor God, the, the God of the book, and submitted themselves to the authority by blessing him, so should we as a congregation, CBF. Because listen, if on Sunday mornings you come here and you leave this place with your head a little bit bigger maybe a little wiser, 
with more understanding than when you once walked in. This is not the goal. Paul says that knowledge puffs up. It can if it's not used to appropriately. So my goal is not for you to come out of here and say, man, from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, it says this. I've never knew that before. No, your goal is to worship collectively, to praise, to bow down before him. Now listen to verse 7 and 8. And that's where we move on from the communication to the proper exposition of God's word. Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josebab, Hanan, and Peliah, all whom were Levites, were teaching the people the law as the people remained standing. They read from the book of the law, explaining it and imparting insight. Does the people gain understanding from what was read? Now, in verses 7 and 8 here, it's just a little bit more additional information to what's going on. But we understand from here that all the men listed here, they're listed by name, and they're actually key men in the exposition of God's word that's being read to the people by Ezra. How do they accomplish this? They teach the law with Ezra. It's not a one-man job. Just like this church is not a one-man show. We have multiple people here involved in ministry, just like the 13 men plus other men who are not even mentioned here today are part of this process. That's why the New Testament, the Apostle Paul calls us the body with many members that function in different functions and expresses the the God-given salvation that Christ has provided in different ways. They play a crucial role here, just like you play a crucial role in the body of Christ. And that's why proper exposition of God's word is so important. Most of them, listen, most of them had actually lived outside of that nation at that moment in time. Some of them were born in captivity. They're coming back in there. They have a different culture, perhaps, than most Jews would have at that point. They, they might even have a different language barrier. They might have a different family traditions. Nehemiah and, the, and the, Lev, the Levites might even have to explain to them what the Hebrew Scripture looks like and what it sounds like. It, it was hard work. But this happened for a purpose because they wanted to explain God's Word and impart insight into their lives. So if understanding requires, as, we, as I mentioned before, a cognitive grasp of God's word, that means that an accurate, listen to this, an accurate understanding of God's word is both possible and essential to us. If understanding is possible according to God's word, if we don't understand we're foolish people, but if we do understand there's a possibility for growth, then if that is true, then accurate understanding of God's word is both possible and essential for your spiritual growth as well as mine. So this explaining him, explaining situation here happens for the purpose of, listen to the end of verse 8. Thus the people gain understanding from what was read. 
the understanding that changes. This should be the goal of every believer. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that my goal, my aim is to know him. Because if I don't know him, then I can walk the way he expects from me. And if the people of Nehemiah's time did not know the God of the Bible, they would not be able to accomplish the things that the God of the Bible wanted for them. Because listen, church, the most beautiful work here is not the rebuilding of the wall or the rebuilding or building of the, the church that, that hopefully will partake one day. The, the job that God used the rebuilding wall to be accomplished was the people to rebuild them into a people of God. And so if we don't become the people of God and God does not grow us, it doesn't matter the beauty and the glory of the temple that CBF will ever have one day. Because the work is not about the building, it's about you. And for that to take place, you need a teachable spirit. We must be eager to receive insight from him. We must be submissive to his authority. We must be attentive to his word. We must be a spirit of reverence for the truth. We must be, be heavenly minded, confronted by him, and be molded by him. Spiritual revival, listen to this, only takes place when he is exalted. His word becomes a lump, lamp unto my feet. When Jesus becomes the, the only way, the truth, and the life, and the spirit becomes the only comforter. That's why spiritual revival does not start and will never start apart from his word. Which leads us to takeaway number four. The leadership and the people value the hard work of proper interpretation and application. Undertaking the study of God's word and proper application is the cornerstone of who we are here. Now, if you are like me, you would rather start your meal with dessert. Right? Because that is the best part of the meal. But the dessert doesn't, doesn't start until the end here. He builds the foundation of his word. He says now that the word is the foundation, it needs to be explained, second pillar. And he says, now that those things are in place, you can actually celebrate. And he goes to verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. Verse 9, the Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the priestly scribe, which, by the way, this is the first time Nehemiah is mentioned in this passage here. He has stepped aside for Ezra to lead, and now he actually comes back in. The Ezra, the priestly scribe, and the Levites who were imparting understanding to the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for, the, for all the people had been weeping when they heard the words of the law. He said to them, go and eat delicacies and drink sweet, sweet drinks and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now verse 9 becomes probably one of the most important verses in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah now joins the scene and the people of God are mourning and weeping. Now, can you imagine this? You've been there for six hours. And if I was there, I'd, I'd be looking. Probably my, by that time, my, my, my watch battery would probably be dead. And, and, and they're there. 
and, and, and instead of thinking about lunch or supper or, or a grocery store on the way, on the way home, they, they're, they're bawling their eyes out. Now, if I was preaching, I would probably be thinking, that was a terrible sermon, Michael. But they're weeping because they're remorsed. They rebuilt the wall, which was a sign of their sin against God. That's why they were taken into captivity, first of all. Now they're back there. They have the freedom not only to live inside of that place, but to live by the word. And the word is being explained to them. And they're bawling their eyes out. And they're remembering their disobedience probably to the Lord in the past. And they're overwhelmed with emotion that's being produced by the word of God. Can you imagine if this scene had started with celebration? What were we celebrating about? I don't know, why don't you come up with something? The celebration here is a result of foundation. And so this is what takes place. Either way, the spiritual condition here now is now a sign of God's word taking root in them, and that's why they can celebrate. It's like your child when, when they finally do something that you have told them multiple times to do, and all of a sudden they, they did it, and you didn't have to tell them about it. It's taking root. Now here's a, another guilty question for us this morning. Does the hearing of God's word has the same effect in our lives? When was the last time you sobbed? Not that that's a requirement. When was the last time you sobbed? Because you're confronted with his word into your own heart. Did you notice here that leadership does not take, does not jump in into mourning and weeping? Instead, they exhort the people to embrace the moment as one who had been set aside according to Ezra and Nehemiah because this was the day of the Lord. The leaders take the opportunity to make this very personal. Now, let me show you something here really special, I think, in your word. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read it again, verse 9. This day is holy to the Lord. Did you notice how they end? How Nehemiah ends this? Your God. That is the directiveness of God's word. That is the personal ability that God's word has to pierce through the heart. Because it is a double-edged sword, isn't it? They don't take ownership of this, which means that they will not understand their identity in the Lord. But if they understand that that is their God, personal God, then now they understand that they have their identity they take ownership of that. And that's why Ezra is described here, describes here this day as holy because of your God. Now listen to verse 10, how they finish. Verse 10, I'll read it again. He said to them, go and eat delicacies and drink sweet drinks and send portions to those whom, have nothing, whom nothing is prepared for this day, once again, is holy to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, the eating delicacies here only means like they're eating the fat of it. It's, it's the best part. They're eating the best part of this 
banquet, the sweetness of a, of a drink here, more of reference to the palate and the taste that's left in their mouth by drinking whatever they were drinking at the moment. And then the leaders, they call the people to share. Listen to this. They call the people to share with whom have nothing prepared. I, we don't know exactly if those people either didn't have money or the financial conditions to, su to support themselves or if they just didn't hear about it or if they were just too lazy to prepare something. But either way, by asking them to share something, what Nehemiah is doing here is he's actually pointing to the fact that what they have in God is way more satisfying and bigger than what they have physically. That's why I think where I grew up, people would show up unexpected at your house for lunch. And I would hear my mom often say, it's always easier to add an extra cup of water to the rice than to have to make an entire new meal. Listen, the blessing of what we have is way superior to the blessings of this world. And that's why when you look at that, you can share anything down here. Oh, listen, really? A new car? Who cares? I got, I got him. Our joy is not based on our circumstances, but on the strength that the one who can not only protect us, but become our, the source of our strength. Strength is not linked to the protection provided by the wall here, and this is what you need to understand. But it is the ultimate source of protection, which is the Lord himself, the one who is better than the fortress, because he is our strength. And so here's what you need to remember, that the reading of God's word, the exposition of God's word, carries the potential for spiritual revival just like it did in Nehemiah's time. And ultimately, spiritual revival can actually lead into a full celebration of God's work in our lives because he is not only the joy and in, 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 in the strength of his people, but he is the strength himself. He is Lord, and he is powerful enough to sustain the people in Nehemiah's time as he is powerful enough to sustain us today. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. I pray that as we go home today, that we would be reminded that your word is sufficient. And not only sufficient, that your word has the authority and the power to confront us with our sin, to move us from weeping into joyful attitudes. And Father, I pray that you would bring revival into our church, into this country. And I pray that it will be true revival, that we might be able to put our hands up and say, amen, you have done it. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.